0: Greetings, y'all, and welcome to the MSU uh, English Department Bobcast. We're excited today to be joined by Brooke Davidson, who's going to tell us about her poetry, about her teaching, about yoga, about life. Uh, and I'm joined here with Allison Weinhoff Olsen. Hey, everybody. And we are just going to kick things off, and I'm going to toss it over to Allison to get us started and uh, do a little bit, perhaps, of a better introduction with Brooke.
1: All right. Thank you, Will. And Brooke, thank you again for being with us this afternoon. Here we are, everybody. Episode two of the Bobcast, and we want to bring our first guest, Brooke Davidson, into your lives. Uh, Brooke is a Bobcat, like many of our listeners and like we are. Brooke, remind us what year you graduated. I graduated from MSU
2: in 2016.
1: Okay, 2016. So, You will notice those of you that grab the book and are able to read it in her. Uh, intro of the book, we have for Dr. Sexton, who helped me to more consciously dance for the sake of dancing, and for Crosby, who helped me see that creating this book was a part of that dance. And so a lot of our colleagues and some of our students, especially your generation, Brooke of Bobcats, will, of course, know Dr. Sexton. And to kick us off, uh, maybe with a little tradition and a little bit of your memory. Can you ex- talk to us about why does your book lead with a for Dr. Sexon?
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had Dr. Sexon in, I, gosh, I don't remember, in, in some year of my education at MSU. And I remember signing up for his class that was labeled as a mythology class. It satisfied one of the credits I needed for the English program. And I'd heard great things about him. i loved all the honors college classes I'd taken at MSU. And so I was excited for it. And the first day when I showed up, he was like, actually, guys, the class title has changed. And, of course, the, like, 4.0, like, super into studying version of me kind of panicked. And I was like, okay, dude, is this still going to, you know, count for my credit? I'm, I'm here for a reason. And he told us that the class had changed title to tracings how the past possesses the present and kind of from that point on you know i was just in it it was it was such a, an inspiring class and one that really caused me pause and to think really critically about things um there's something really powerful about being guided by a person who has entire swaths of literature memorized and they just kind of it out as it fits the occasion, and you know there were a lot of um, kind of big texts that I encountered in that class that really impacted me. Like T. S. Eliot's Four Quartets now holds a very dear place in my heart. But also, it was I think just a really great place for me to start figuring out what it is I believed and what I cared about and how I wanted to move through this world, and it it coincided with. The start of my yoga journey. And so Dr. Sexon at one point, he told me that I'm a person who dances for the sake of dancing. And it's something that I've kind of ruminated on over the years. And every once in a while, I notice that I'm no longer dancing for the sake of dancing. And I have to kind of adjust my sights and get back to that. And whenever I do, you know, life feels a little bit better. So figured it was worth a little shout out to him at the start.
1: I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And those of you listening, you may have already heard it, but Brooke is definitely an English major's English teacher. Um, She oozes uh, the beauty that is our language and our world and our humanity. She's a writer. She's a poet. She's a high school English teacher in Wyoming. She's a yoga instructor. uh, She's a partner. She's a dog mom. And she has her own podcast, Mindful Living Podcast, The Practice, with Brooke Davidson. And so Brooke is you know, I I don't want to speak for you, but as I think across those different identities and roles that you play in life, and and you've talked about needing to find your way, how do you want to move through this world? Can you talk to us a bit about how you are moving through this world as an English teacher who is now a published poet? Um, Your yoga practice is quite important. And to me, as someone who was very proud to be one of your professors you do not move through this world in in silos but your your intersections of the way that that you dance is is pretty amazing so could you talk to us a little bit about that
2: yeah um so I think the the primary intersection of all of those things is a desire to just be present and I say just and I I I want to eliminate that. I want to instead say the desire to be present. You know, it's intense in the classroom, as you very well know. There are so many decisions being made. There are so many unexpected things every day, whether it be certain students that are out sick that you didn't anticipate or an assignment no longer being turned in at the rate that you thought it would be. And now all of a sudden the day has to switch. And so... I noticed, especially in my early years of teaching, and I still am in my early years, but in, in my even earlier ones, that I I was feeling quite overwhelmed quite regularly. And I was just kind of spinning in my tracks, trying to keep up with curriculum building and grading and planning. And, you know, on top of all of that, of course, wanting to actually build authentic relationships with my students since that is something that inspired me to be a teacher in the first place. And that I always appreciated about my teachers. You know, I, I've stayed in contact with you since MSU and I think that's really cool. And so I wanted to try to do all of that as all of us teachers do, I'm sure. And notice that I was kind of being defeated by my own efforts and when I was finally able to pause. And of course, this was a time when, in my first year of teaching, it was the time when I decided to recommit myself to my yoga practice. And I told myself every single day I would step on the mat, even if it was for five minutes. And I lived at this point on a little ranch out in Kinnear, Wyoming, population 43. And so my yoga practice was definitely a self-practice. There were not studios nearby I could go to. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was kind of the side-by-side exploration of myself in the context of the classroom, as well as on the mat. And the one thing that I decided I wanted to carry through all of these different arenas would be presence and finding ways to pause and, you know, modeling for my students that even though the world often feels like it's so fast paced, we we do often have the power to at least take a breath, at least check in with ourselves and then take the next right step, however big or small or, you know, unconventional that step might be.
1: That's amazing. Thank you. And honestly, that's an amazing way to experience that first year of teaching, um, to to be that mindful and to find a physical solution or attempt to try to you know reshape what that experience is like for yourself and as we can hear in your response I'm guessing um, from your students as well and so your poetry writing has that been something Brooke that you have also continued and been doing over the years or how did you come to this collection that has turned into your book seasons of a girl Yeah, that is definitely something I've done
2: over the years. I actually remember distinctly the first poem I ever wrote, which is funny because there's so many pieces of writing between then and now I obviously don't distinctly recall. But in second grade, my teacher presented us with this literary journal that would be compiled for my school district. And... She said all the different categories of art that could go into it. And I decided I wanted to write a poem. And I was very new to poetry. I was, you know, how how old was one in second grade? Eight, maybe? Seven or eight, (laughs) I suppose. And decided that I wanted to give it a try. And so I wrote this poem about a star and I'm sure it was just so lovely. But it started something within me. I really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed having to be very concise and purposeful with my words. I've always been a talker and a writer in general, and I liked that I had to be very selective in this. And I enjoyed the challenge of that. And also as I became a little more organic with it, as it became something that wasn't, you know, such a sit down and think and try in more of a organic, expressive mode, Mm. I found that it was just really nice for myself to be able to maybe articulate an experience or to be feeling a big feeling as a teenager and have somewhere to put that feeling that wasn't just within myself. And so I think in that way, it it became just kind of a, a ritualistic practice for me that whenever i had something big to share i wanted to put it into words and then i started enjoying even the little things putting it into words and so when i decided to compose seasons of a girl the first thing i had to do was look through a bunch of old journals and type up poems that i actually thought were worth typing up still and you know i wanted to kind of figure out how to organize the book and There's actually, it was, I'm trying to remember which professor I learned this from at MSU, but I remember for a research paper, we cut up all of our annotated bibliography, and then we organized it, like, physically in front of us, and that was how we decided how we'd move through our research within the paper.
1: I think it was Mark. Do you remember Mark's last name? I'm Um, blanking on it. I can see Mark. It will, let me... Let me think on this. <laughs> okay. I'm like,
2: you picture his classroom and his Tweet jacket. I just cannot think of his last name. But we did that in that class and I found it so helpful. And so when I decided to organize this book, I actually printed off this huge Google Doc worth of poetry and laid it out on my living room floor and tried to see what patterns existed. And pretty quickly, I saw that one pattern was Seasonal you know, there's a lot of poems that either explicitly describe certain things about each season or poems that relate to them more on a felt level. And so I put out these color-coded papers for each of the seasons. And then I started lining up the papers under them that fit. And then some of the poems, you know, I threw out and I continued to write and add to it. And I kind of got to this point where it was just sitting in my Google drive, more or less composed, but I wanted illustrations. And so that was kind of a stopping point for a few years that this just sat in my drive untouched. It well, not necessarily untouched. I continued to add and prune and alter, but I met a gal at a creative retreat in Idaho who Illustrates stuff. And she, she's never illustrated a book before. And yet when I reached out and asked her, she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll give it a shot. And it was really fun to just work alongside of her. And she'd send me a mock-up of something and I would say, Oh my gosh, that fits perfectly. Or she'd send me a mock-up and I'd say, you know, I, I don't think that's quite what I was going for. Every once in a while she'd send an illustration that I thought that wasn't what I imagined. Um, for example, I have a poem in here that it was a reflection of losing my cat, and I she sent this beautiful drawing of a gal lying in bed, and there's like an imprint on the pillow next to her, hinting at a body that was there, you know, like a, a human body, <laughs> um, and that human's no longer in this person's life, and it was so lovely, and I I felt like most likely people would be re- relating to this poem on the human level instead of the cat level, so we just went with it you know and so it was just kind of a fun process to actually assemble the book and get the illustrations going and, and it was a fellow MSU grad who was in the English program who did the cover uh Autumn Toness, if you oh, recall wow. her That's that amazing. was so yeah i love that yeah it was good
1: you know creative collaboration is so rewarding and exhilarating that i i appreciate you sharing that process and especially the image of the colors, you know, how you, you laid it out and you pruned and you moved. Um, how often did you need to create poems for a season? Or do you, do you feel that you had those before you hit this organizational piece?
2: Many of them I had, but there were, I'm trying to remember, I think it was summer That ended up being the season I felt needed to be bulked up. And so for a while, I would write a poem every day and just see what happened. And most of them I trashed or didn't do anything with. But every once in a while, you know, one would stick. And I would try to write them specifically surrounding that that essence of summer for me. And so that that was kind of... um, the bulking up process, but everything else kind of shook out naturally in that way. And so there was some rearranging and some, you know, additions to other pieces. And because this sat as a manuscript for so long, just in the process of initially creating that Google Doc to actually deciding to publish it, even as the illustrator Uh, Janae Valencia was going through and creating illustrations, I would send her a poem and say, oh, can you add this to the section and so on. And so that was um, kind of what that process looked like. But yeah, I mean, some of the poems in there are many years old. And so it's, it is kind of funny. And, And that's part of the process. You know, it's, when I created this, I wanted it to be about change and growth. And so there has to be poems that that illustrate like point a point b point c but it is funny every once in a while open to a poem and kind of cringe a little bit (laughs) and be like oh wow I was feeling something so intensely that now thankfully I can look back on with more perspective and and see that that wasn't that big of a deal or what whatever but it is you know it's I told myself I needed to just be done with this and and publish it instead of it just continuing to sit for so long. And as soon as I did do that, I started into my second manuscript, which is a lot more about, you know, this one kind of shows the shift into this mindful living and a little bit of more lightness. And the new manuscript is more fully about that experience about that awakening process and, and what it is to maybe be able to shift into moments of perspective.
0: (laughs) Brooke, I'm wondering uh, about perspective here. I mean, you, you mentioned something that I think is really important. And there's a lot of teachers who, English teachers in particular, who understand themselves as instructors of writers, of young writers, and helping them sort of you know, plumb the depths of whatever those big feelings are that they're feeling at that particular time, whether it's middle high school, even elementary school, as you mentioned with second grade. And I'm wondering, though, when you come across something that feels, as you stated, kind of cringy, that's a good excuse, a good reason for a lot of people to say, you know what, I'm not gonna, I don't want to put this out into the world. And there's, I think there's something brave about a, a teacher in particular, but any writer who's willing to write for something beyond uh, just inside their journal that no one else will see. We see that type of um, bravery in classrooms when teachers share their own writing and when they encourage students to be vulnerable as well. But publishing is a whole next level to share with strangers, people who you haven't built strong connections to in the ways that we hope teachers do. So, Could you talk to us at all about sort of what do you do to get over that... When you do feel kind of cringy or when you do feel kind of vulnerable and you do feel that resistance, is there any advice you would have for any writer or teachers in particular when they they want to put their work out into the world in that way?
2: Yeah, you know, it makes me think actually of the difference between holding the language of teacher and student as opposed to Facilitator and participant. And I say that just because a lot of times this teacher image is supposed to be, you know, culturally, we kind of built this up, built up this idea of this person who knows all the things and who has all of the answers. And the student sits there and like receives it as the teacher just like actively gives it. And I think. A more accurate look at what learning and what, what sharing knowing often is, is people on the same level as each other, hands in the dirt, exploring whatever topic is at hand. And of course, often the teacher is going to have more knowledge going into that experience, and they're going to be able to guide whoever is with them in that fruitful manner. And yet, there is room for the teacher to also be learning. And to not have the answers and to continue to be growing as well, right? And so I think when a person feels that cringiness, it's a reminder to step back and look around and consider, okay, what texts have I read that have resonated with me? They're not always these beautiful, perfectly articulate things, much less are they focused on these fluffy and warm moments of life usually it's those reflections that are kind of raw and where the emotion is exposed and the experience is put out there and somebody says yeah I went through this and it kind of sucked and (laughs) here it is you know and so that was a big a big motivator I guess in me sharing even those poems that maybe aren't any longer a representation of where I'm at Not to say I won't be there again one day, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's, it's like, I think of the poems that have helped me through maybe some of my harder moments of life. And I've been so appreciative of people being willing to share those reflections. And to me, that's kind of the beauty of social media, you know, is somebody shares something and all of a sudden it can be normalized for so many other people. Mm -hmm. Whereas for a long time prior to that, I would have to maybe bring it up in conversation and then maybe somebody would say, yeah, I've had that experience or maybe they would say, no, what What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the cool thing about the written word and the social media in general is that we get to read these words that maybe validate our own experiences and that maybe make it okay Not that it isn't already okay, but make us feel like it's okay Mm -hmm. to have that experience and to feel that way and to know that also it is temporary, which is, you know, another, another driving factor of the the way I organized this book is I wanted to show that these things are temporary and it doesn't mean that they're only a one time deal, Mm -hmm. you know, you might cycle back through and cycle back through but the good the bad the ugly the beautiful it's all temporary and you know sometimes it's really it can be heartening to remember that and to to see your own experience in somebody else's words
1: and i think for those who haven't read your book yet or don't have their hands on it, I want to just share how you have it structured specifically. So Brooke starts with the birth of a poem, a preface, and then just as we might think of seasons of the year, she moves us through summer, autumn, winter, and spring. And something as a reader that I loved is that within each season, you offer, you say summer and then the season of vitality. And then we move into the next season, which is autumn, and that is the season of change. And then we move into winter, the season of reflection. And then we move into spring, and it too has its own, the season of renewal, and listening to you Brooke talk about your process of of where the poems came from that are in each of these seasons Uh, whether a reader maybe prefers to think of it as spring or maybe for someone um, it's going to stick that this is this the renewal section right Um, that we're not just talking about a linear movement through seasons as you know, seasons of a girl, right? This is plural, temporality is is fluid, it's complex. You have written about places you have been, places you just intimated, you may be again, you don't know. It might be cringy because you're not there at this moment, but where you were is part of who you are now. And so putting all of that out there I think is so is so rich and the complexity. Um, as a reader, I I chose to read each season on its own and and ruminate with each season. Um, th- for me, there was something particularly stunning um, about each individually. And 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 when I look at what I've dog tagged, you know, I was with I was in winter, the season of reflection, and I just kept pondering my own life and then I hit spring and I think I you know dog-eared almost every single poem and I was like this is wow as a reader you know as a teacher who who maybe will use this as a writing prompt use it as a welcome to my space welcome to being together as writers as humans I felt a little ridiculous for a moment marking so many and then I thought no this is this is it because your book allowed me to be and to emote and to slow down for a moment, even though I was pouring through the poems because I just wanted the words to continually wash over me. Um, so I think it will be fun for you. I hope people that continue reading your book and those who are gifting your book to others that, you know, they share with you how they're reading it because, you know, I already know I'm going to start with what I've marked for myself, and that's where I'm going to start my reread and and my use for myself as a writer and and with other writers, whether it's with writing project teachers or pre-service teachers or friends or colleagues. Um, you know, you've you've given us so many moments into conversation. So I want to say thank you, and I also want to. Encourage people that that read Brooke's work. Share with her how you are experiencing um, this this organization and and these seasons because I think that would be so powerful for you. You as you said, you love to talk. You love this human experiment that we're in. You love people and to be present. Um, part of that is so rich with humanity. So I hope I hope that you get that opportunity, Brooke. Um, as as people read more of your work. Yeah,
2: thank you. And thank you for sharing your process with it, it is yeah. really interesting to put something out and then, you know, not necessarily receive feedback or know how people are utilizing it. And it's, it's been cool a couple moments, you know, when when somebody tags me in their Instagram story, sharing the poem that stood out to them, or their thoughts on something or I see a line of a poem used as a caption on someone's photo and I'm like, "Whoa, that's so cool that that's what stood out to them." And yeah. it's it's so fun too to hear how people are utilizing it because you know, it's it can just be a leap of faith in a lot of ways. I'm going to put this out there because I feel like I'm supposed to because I feel like I feel like it's the next step for me and in my process with this work. And also, I have no idea what's going to come of it. You know, will it was so funny to click that button that confirmed, yep, I, I approve of this final mock-up, let's get it printed. And to not know, will any of it be printed? <laughs> will people even buy this? And and what will they think of it? And and yeah, it's it's been very vulnerable. You know, when you mentioned that you had purchased the book, for example, I thought, oh my gosh, I, you know, I love Dr. Wu's writing and her opinions of things. And I really hope that that there is, you know, that she finds something, even just a single poem that, that can be nourishing to her out of this. And, and of course people are generally just so supportive of each other in the world in a lot of ways. And it's been a really cool, um, especially, you know, coming, gosh, do we get to say coming out of yet? I don't think so, but. Yeah. <laughs> producing this in the time of COVID when there is so much isolation and disconnect. And as we've all seen over the past few years, it feels like there's just so much division and so much closed offness toward one another. And uh, it's been, I think, in that way, really a nourishing thing for me to have these opportunities to connect over something that is a little bit vulnerable. But I've really appreciated all of that.
1: I love it. Well, I feel this is a perfect moment, Brooke. Would you turn to a poem and read it for us? Yeah,
2: let me, I marked a couple and I wasn't sure which one I'd be feeling (laughs) as I sat here with you guys. And so let's see. I think this one actually fits what we've talked about well. So this is, um, this. a lot of my poems for, for folks who are listening who maybe haven't looked at the book itself, they don't necessarily have titles in the traditional sense. The last line or two are italicized and bolded and they kind of function as the title. And so I won't read a title prior to reading just because it's what comes at the end. There is something in the undoing the unraveling of what was so purposefully woven together, of what once acted as a support, but now each strand loosened lies limp beneath your feet, an invitation to begin again. So lots of short poems in here, which as I mentioned, I I enjoy the challenge of those short little concise things. And I think as a reader, it's just what I enjoy as well. I read a lot of poetry that mm-hmm. that is shorter and more concise. And so this this does have longer poems throughout it, but a lot are quite short like that. Yeah.
1: And remind yeah. me, Brooke, which season is that poem in? It is in spring. spring. So it's on, since I
2: know you have your book over there, it's on page 86. Okay.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, an invitation to begin... And then you have again, in parentheses, I I thought that was so powerful. And I think that fits, again, this the cycling through time and, and experiencing life as yes, the same human, but never the same, right? And and in these different seasons of renewal, um, that invitation to begin again, um, and that unraveling I, I think is so, so fascinating. Thank you for thank you for sharing that one. And thank you for letting us know too about what these look like, right? As, as you said, they are not titled um, and yet they are at the end, they're bolded, they're italicized. And um, I think if I'm correct, Brooke, everything is also lowercase, right? So yes. I felt a little EE e. Cummings coming through here and I thought, right, <laughs> nothing gets um, uppercase capitalization talk to us about that move as a writer why is that the right choice for you for your poetry
2: yeah so that was that was an interesting one I I had tried multiple different ways of you know capitalizing punctuating these poems and ultimately that felt I think the best to me just because there was there's a sort certain sort of you know, when a poet breaks for a line, they they know <laughs> that there's going to be a little more thought placed on the last word of that line, even in just those milliseconds of time that it takes the reader's eyes to get to the next line. And so line breaks are obviously so powerful and intentional. And mm-hmm. it felt odd to me that our language has these conventions of capitalizing and one of those sets of conventions is such that it's just whatever starts the sentence. But the other set is that it's whatever is important. And those don't always align. You know, sometimes the first word at the start of the sentence isn't isn't really a word that I want the reader's eye to linger on. And so I decided to have it be all lowercase for that reason. Um, and I think it, it, it maybe makes the reader notice the punctuation a bit more because they don't have... The default of looking at capital letters and so I thought it maybe added some power to the punctuation and, and I play with spacing and stuff throughout it you know some mm-hmm. sometimes all do spaces between the letters of a word to make that word last longer again mm-hmm. wanting it to be further emphasized in that way and so that was kind of the process yeah
1: thank you will you read one more to us spoil us a little?
2: Sure. I'll choose a longer one
1: this time so that folks get an
2: idea of how some of these might look. All right. This one is actually the very first poem in the first season, which is summer. I will taste wine on my lips and hear wind rushing through the willow out my kitchen window. My bedside table will house books whose pages are worn thin from years of calloused fingers working their way through, tracing those familiar lines. My body will ache knowingly, singing of its years of use, scars like roadmaps of all the places it has been. And my hair will hang in a long braid, its coarse gray strands woven together like the many stories those strands do carry. That furrow of my brow, evidence of contemplation, will have etched itself permanently into the canvas of my face. Alongside it, the evidence too of laughter and awe and so many days beneath the sun. I will leave this earth alone, but with a heart full of memories, each year richer than the last. For as my body decays and falls apart, what's inside will have only more cracks through which to shine. More cracks through which to shine.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Season of Vitality. <laughs> as a reader, I love the the change in pacing that you offer um, in your writing, and to hear you read it is, is so powerful, and to hear you speak about your process. Um, certainly as someone who cares deeply about language and writing and people and the care that we offer our teachers and students in classrooms looking for ways to offer more dignity around the difficult work that we do and and the vulnerability when it shows up i think is a way to bring that dignity and a lot of folks don't understand that about classroom teaching especially middle school high school teaching um, especially in this moment uh, we have a lot of people who went to school, right? Thereby, they are experts. And so um, I want to, to offer true, deep respect for the teacher that you are and the way that you, in talking about your poetry and the way you write, um, to me, is a wonderful model of how to teach and how to be in a classroom space with students, uh, with children, with youth who are looking for ways to connect With themselves and with this world, certainly with each other. Um, And I think that you remind those of us who are teachers what a beautiful, humble experience it is when we can show up alongside our students and be there, and the real need to find sustaining ways to be that adult in the room to be that teacher, um, you know, and, and you've talked about your yoga practice, you've talked about writing poetry, um, and I, and I know there are other things that you do to sustain yourself and maybe kind of as we, we near the end, I think I'm really interested in maybe some, some advice or, um, you know, just words that you might want to say right now to other people who are teaching and who are exhausted and who don't have this, you know, still still feels fresh to me, this fresh, beautiful poetry book and another one in process to really latch on and have that. But you know, this is, we all know this is a hard moment to be a student. It's a hard moment to be a teacher. And I feel you oozing a lot of life force uh, throughout this piece. And I'm wondering if you could maybe say some words to to your colleagues and to your friends who are out there. You know what their struggle is in a way. And I'm, I'm curious what you might offer.
2: Yeah. Gosh, isn't that a little bit of the million-dollar question right now? How do yes. we find sustainability in this profession that it's feeling it's always been quite intense yes those of us who step into it typically step into it because we care and as we all know caring sometimes makes things a little harder (laughs) but when i think about what i might offer i think what helps me anyway is always prioritizing moments of pause and so that might mean as soon as my lunch break starts I know I need to use part of it for grading but what if I take five minutes to eat my food and actually notice what the tastes are what the textures are what the sounds are of that process what if I just go stand by my window and maybe feel that sunlight coming through for a moment of my day Um, sometimes it looks like building those pauses into the classroom it's really convenient in a lot of ways that research is so supportive of independent reading time. So maybe we have independent reading time for the first 10 minutes of every class. And not only does that add some class structure, but maybe it gives the teacher a pause and the teacher gets to read a book that they're interested in for 10 minutes too, because modeling is is a way of teaching, right? If we show that we're, we're reading, not only do we get a relish in that, but we also know that it's effective. Um, and I think that modeling on a different level, too, you know, being willing to pause in class and name what's happening say, wow, guys, we've had a lot of chaotic stuff this week. And I'm personally, I feel like my heart rate's a little bit elevated. I feel like we're rushing through this. What, what if we take a four minute break and come back together at the end of that time because I, I could use a moment myself and I'm sure you could too you know like we have the ability to do that as the facilitators of the classroom and so I think being building that awareness within ourselves of when we feel like we need a pause and modeling to our students how we respond to those awarenesses is invaluable right and that's not something they're going to find on an act question but it is something that could help them throughout their life, including while taking the ACT if we really want to get into that. Um, and so finding, yeah, finding those moments and and also being willing to take take a day off or do something that truly feels like it would be fruitful and you know, not I think one thing that Somebody said to me a while ago that kind of stuck with me is not every single piece of work needs to be graded. You know, sometimes we can use that feedback and we can go over that feedback full class and we can find ways to just still fruitfully engage with what we believe is meaningful work in the classroom and also not necessarily putting undue pressure on ourselves just because that's the way we've seen it happen before.
1: Thank you. And, you know, those of you who who you're just meeting Brooke through our Bobcast, remember her podcast, uh, Mindful Living Podcast, called The Practice with Brooke Davidson. And, Brooke, you're also on Insight Timer. Am I right? I am, yes. Um, yes. So um, my family listens to Insight Timer. So when I saw Brooke post that, I thought, what? I need to cue you up. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think it's wonderful to find – Find people who care about presence and who care about others, even those folks that we don't know. Um, Brooke is one of those those people. You now have a link um, as, as fellow Bobcats. You have a link as, as English folk. And um, the deep respect, Brooke, that we have for the work that you're doing, I hope is evident. And I would love if you would, um, at the end of, of your book, of seasons of a girl you write the end and then just to parallel all those other seasons you then write and now on to a new beginning and in fact there is one more poem there on page 111 would you do us the honor of reading that final poem in this piece yes just like a garden left
2: unweeded will not produce as abundant a bounty Ourselves left unchecked will squander our energy to that which does not help us flourish. Continue to prune away anything that pulls you away from yourself. You are the garden and the gardener. Thank you, Brooke. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on your show.